Go with me to John chapter 14. And as I said, we're beginning today a series on heaven. You know, because, you know, a lot of people have stuff to say about heaven. And it's, heaven is very popular in pop culture. But how many know just because they talk about heaven in a certain way in TV doesn't mean that's actually how heaven is? You know, we even have art, old art, from hundreds of years ago that have pictures of heaven, but it's not always biblical. And if we're believers of the Word of God, we should know what the Word of God says about heaven, right? And so we're going to look at some things, and not just about heaven, about that's where you go when you leave this earth. But heaven, I'll say it this way, the first time the believer experiences heaven should not be when they get there. The first time a believer experiences heaven should not be when they get there. Did not Jesus say that we should pray that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Your first experience in heaven should not be when you die. So when we go through a lot of things in this series, there's so much ground to cover. All these wonderful good things we talk about, expected to manifest in your life. See, even under the old covenant in the law, and we have, you know, Hebrews tells us we have a better covenant based on better promises. What's about our new covenant that's better than the old? It concludes all the good of the old plus all the good of the new. And in the old covenant, they were promised days of heaven on the earth. So if those under an old covenant could experience that, why can't you? So let's go to John. Chapter 14. And for those who want to follow along with me, you can find my notes in the YouVersion Bible app. John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. That lets you know you have control of whether your heart is troubled or not. That word troubled also means disturbed, agitated, shaken. We see things all around us every single day, on the news every single day, that can disturb us, that can agitate us, that want us to subscribe to all the medicines that are advertised in between the news coverage. But Jesus says, you have control over your heart. Just because things go on in the world does not mean it has to get into your heart. Let not your heart be troubled. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. So let's stop right there, the Father's house. What is it talking about? Heaven, right? There are many mansions. This word mansions also means dwelling places and rooms. The Greek word for mansion today is used to describe large monasteries in Europe. So it's not talking about a small place. And there are mansions in heaven. Let that sink in. Because, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, there's a heavenly mansion. No, let that sink in. There are mansions in heaven. Now, we, you can drive certain streets in Georgia, and you can see many mansions. How many know that's not a small area? A mansion doesn't sit on a small plot of land, right? So if there are multiple mansions, that means heaven's not a small place. Heaven's not a cloud with a naked baby and a harp. Heaven is a very large, very real place. And Jesus adds, because imagine this, this is some of the last things Jesus is telling his disciples before he goes to the cross. And he's saying, if it weren't, wasn't true, I would have told you. Because you have to imagine, he's telling them something that they did not know. That they didn't have the understanding of the old covenant. There were mansions in heaven. Now, there are people in the old covenant who went to heaven. We'll talk about in the series. Moses went to heaven. David saw into heaven. We'll get into that in the series. But there are some things in heaven they didn't know about, so Jesus letting them know there are mansions in heaven. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. So you know what this lets me know about this scripture? There's continual construction in heaven. Because when you look at heaven from when we see in Genesis till now, there are things being added. Even in the future, there'll be more things that are added. And Jesus, I'm going to prepare a place for you. 
What place is he talking about? That mansion. Every believer has a mansion. Personally prepared by Jesus himself. And you have to think, Jesus is so good, he'll tailor it to your liking. No one else may like your style, but Jesus knows you like it. And so you may be the person who likes flamingos inside everywhere. You walk into your heavenly mansion, there's golden flamingos everywhere. And everybody's like, why is there golden? Oh, they like flamingos, don't they? He knows what you like. And he's preparing a place for you. Say, Jesus is preparing a place for me. Notice what he says in verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Say, he's coming again. And receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Go with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So a lot of things we've seen in heaven, we can see from there, it's a large place. We can see this continual construction going on. This preparations being made. There are many mansions. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Now to give you the context of what Paul has talked to this group, this church is in the Thessalonica area. That Paul had just left them a couple months ago. He wrote this letter to them, and he hadn't been gone for a few months yet. And so they had a lot of questions. Things were going on. And so he's answering their questions. And he says, I don't want you to be ignorant or uninformed, brethren, concerning them which are asleep or those who have died. Now, what happens when someone goes to sleep? All you have to do is wake them up. And Paul likes to refer, use this terminology a lot, because even Jesus did. He's talking about believers who have gone home. He says that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. This word sorrow means to grieve. The New Living Translation says it this way. So you'll not grieve like people who have no hope. So there is a grieving process for believers. It's just not the same process as the world. What separates the process, the grieving process of believers from non-believers? Hope. This word hope means joyful and confident expectation of good. This word hope means joyful and confident expectation of good. So what is our hope? Look at this next verse. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, anybody believe Jesus died and rose again in here? Even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. These people had questions because people who had just gotten saved were part of their church fellowship, part of their gathering, had died. They were actively expecting Jesus to come back at any moment, and there's someone who died before, so they had some questions about what happened to them. And Paul said, when Jesus comes back, he will bring them with him. Why? They went to where Jesus is. Remember, to some people, it's like, oh, that makes sense to us. Well, it makes sense to us 2,000 years later who live in a version of Christendom. We've heard something around these areas. A lot of these people weren't even from Jewish backgrounds. They're from pagan backgrounds. They had various different beliefs of what happened when somebody died. And Paul's adding clarity, saying they went to be with Jesus. For we say this to you by the word of the Lord, that, they which are, that, they, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. The New Living Translation says it this way. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. The Amphi Classic says, For this we declare to you by the Lord's own word, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall in no way proceed into his presence or have any advantage at all over those who have previously fallen asleep in him in death. And so this dismisses the notion of soul sleep. 
of you're just asleep or unconscious until some future date. You're in some suspended animation to some future date. Or that you're in some purgatory or holding place until a future date. If a person believes in Jesus and they die, they go to be with him. They're not hanging around. Grandma ain't haunting your house. It's like, oh, I thought I saw her. That's not her. You know, sometimes people try to be so deep and make up stuff and say it's part of the culture, and you start worshiping ancestors and open up demons to your home. Don't do that. Let's look at more of this. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. Those who die in Christ go to be with Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. Paul says, We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Say, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. All those online, go ahead and put that in the chat. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But I want you to look at what this word present means. Because, you know, we think about just with somebody. If you're present, you're there, right? But this word has a deeper meaning just being there. This word present means to be among one's own people. Let this sit in. Let that sink in a little bit. To be with one's own people people. It means to dwell in one's own country. It means to stay at home. So not only are you with Jesus, you are with your people. You're where you belong. You're in your own home. You're in your own country. You're not saying, I'm going to my father's house. You're going to your house. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. That place, heaven is not just God's place, it's your place. Heaven is not just God's home, it's your home. To be absent from the body is to be with your own people and your own place with Jesus. That's what heaven is. It's your homeland. When the believer dies... They are escorted into heaven to be with the Lord. Now, Philippians 1.23 says it before I look at this escorting process. Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, and he's in a tough spot right now. He's like, look, for me to die is gain, but to live is Christ. He's like, it's better for me to go, but it's better for you for me to stay. And so he's writing going back and forth. Do I want to stay? Do I want to go? Do I stay? I want to go. And he says, you know what? I'm going to stay because it's going to further your faith. But notice what it says in verse 23. For I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. He didn't say better, far better. Now, Paul, at this point, writing in the church of Philippi, is his mission accomplished yet? No. Has he finished his race yet? No. Are there more letters for him to write? Yes. Are there more messages for him to preach? Yes. Is there more things for him to accomplish? Yes. But he still said, me going early is still better than me hanging around here. So even if someone goes home too soon, it's still better. And although you may miss them and going through the grieving process of the believer, if they could talk to you, they're like, well, I know you miss me, but I'm not coming back. Paul, the great apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, said it's far better. The place God has for you is far better. What he's prepared for you is far better. Your home is far better. Go to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Let's talk about being escorted in. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There is an escort process from your physical body into heaven. 
Look what the Lord says through Peter about it. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. It says, Wherefore, the rather brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. Now, what things? When you look at verse 3 through verse 9, he lists things that you are to do on a regular basis about adding to your faith. He talks about what you should add to your faith. And if you go through the spiritual maturing process and keep it up, you will not ever fall. You can actually reach a place where you won't fall. But that doesn't mean you do everything and stop doing it and say, I'll never fall now. No, it's a continual process. You don't have to fall. Say, I don't have to fall. Go ahead, put that in the chat. I don't have to fall. But if you don't do the things required, you're going to fall. Now, I'm not saying you won't make mistakes, you won't trip, you won't stumble, but you don't have to fall. And if you're in a place where you say, well, I've fallen, we'll get back up again. What's different about the righteous man and the wicked man? The righteous person fell and got back up again. So if you fell, stop condemning yourself. Stop beating yourself up. Because Jesus is not beating you up, why are you beating yourself up? If your judge is not beating yourself, you up, why are you beating yourself up? Get back up again. The scripture says that it's our heart that condemns us. It's our heart that convicts us. So what do you need to do if you're in a fallen place? First John 1, 9, you confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You are redeemed. You are cleansed. You are forgiven. So go forward. Stop saying, well, God's mad at me. He doesn't want to talk to me. No, he does. When you mess up, don't run from God. Run to him. Some of us have to change how we think about God. Now, we have this image of, I messed up. I, my father can't find out about this. Instead of, I messed up, I need to go tell my father about this. Two different perspectives. When you mess up, you run to him, not from him. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. An entrance will be ministered to you. So notice with what it says here, based on verses 3 through 9, that every believer's entrance into heaven is different. Every believer's entrance into heaven is different. And it's connected to how they lived on this earth. We haven't even gotten to rewards yet, because there are rewards in heaven. We haven't even gotten to crowns yet, because there are crowns yet. We haven't even got to eternal assignments, because there are eternal assignments. We're just talking about you walking in. You walking in. Woo, I made it. Well, I'm glad you made it. Where there's something more than just making it. There's an entrance that's ministered to those who live in the way God has called them to live. See, the Berean Study Bible says it this way, and you will receive a lavish reception into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The NIV says, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There is an entrance reserved for the believer who lives the way God has called him to live. And it's ministered to you, supplied to you. It's furnished and prepared for you. That when you get there, think about it this way. Even if a person went too soon or they went suddenly and you didn't expect them to go, heaven had prepared a welcoming committee for them. They didn't get there without knowing. When they walked in, there was a welcoming committee. It was prepared to welcome them home. They're not coming to a place to visit. No, come on, you can go to resorts and hotels and they prepare a welcoming committee and, you know, it's a nice place to stay, but you know you're leaving. But a committee had been assigned to prepare a reception for them because they're coming home. They crossed into heaven and there was a lavish reception. The lavishness of the reception, everybody gets a reception, but the lavishness and grandness of the reception is based on how the person lived on earth. Them getting in is not based on how they live. Getting in is making a decision to believe on Jesus. 
accepting him as your Lord and Savior. So we're not talking about if you make it. We're talking about the reception right now. What will your reception be like? Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The reception. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2 through 4, Paul's talking about himself. He says, I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago. Whether in the body, I cannot tell. Whether out of the body, I cannot tell. God knows. Such a one called up to the third heaven. And we'll talk about visions of heaven in this series. And Paul has had an experience with God. He says, I don't know if I was in my body or if I was out of my body, but I got caught up into heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knows, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful or is too great for a man to utter. Now, what is paradise? Paradise is a park, a garden. This is a Persian word denoting a grand enclosure or preserve. It is the same Greek word used for the Garden of Eden in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So if you want to think about the Garden of Eden, because it's connected to it in that word, the Garden of Eden was not a small garden. It's not a small garden. The Garden of Eden, when you look at its map in Genesis 2, covered parts of Africa, parts of the Middle East, and spread into a little bit uh, further into the East. It covered completely modern-day Iraq as well. It was a large garden. Where God set up Adam and Eve was not like, okay, you got a block, let me see what you do with the block. It was a huge area. And this is the term used to describe the garden or preserve that's in heaven. Now, paradise is not all of heaven. It's a part of heaven. Remember, so there's many parts. Heaven's a large place. There is the most beautiful garden you can imagine waiting for you. That's not all of heaven. That's part of it. Part of heaven is called paradise. This is part of the entrance. Can you imagine walking into the most beautiful garden? With, we'll get into it. There are actually animals in heaven. The scripture tells you about it. There's trees. There's so many things in heaven. It's more than just some clouds. It's a place where people actually live. Remember, Jesus called eternal life. You're living there. You're, if you think you're living here, you haven't even experienced life yet. So there's a part of heaven which is called paradise. It's a huge grand park and preserve. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. Let's look at different parts of heaven. We won't get to all of it today. So we say there's an entrance that's ministered to believers based on how they lived on earth. Then there's a part of heaven called paradise. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. Let's look at more parts of heaven. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 9. This is talking about Abraham. So by faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Pause. Abraham, way back in Genesis, knew that there was a city that God had prepared. He knew it existed. We know Moses saw it. I'll get into that later in the series. We know David saw it. But he knew that there was a city. A city he was looking for. So when he's wandering out in the desert, he's not just looking around. He's looking for what God had promised in the world to come. 
Verse 13 says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a, what is that word? A country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that, what's that word? From whence they came out, they might have had an opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country that is heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So there is a heavenly city, and there is a heavenly country, and there is a heavenly paradise. This is not a small spot. There's paradise, there's the country, and there's the city. And then there's the mansions. We haven't even gotten to the throne yet. Because the throne room itself is huge. Think about all these amazing things God has already prepared, and we're barely scratching the surface. So what is this heavenly paradise, country, and city like? Well, I'm glad you asked. Go to Psalm 16. What is it like? Go to Psalm 16. Psalm 16, verse 11. It says, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. This word fullness means abundance. Now, this word joy means gladness. Mirth, which is amusement, especially as expressed in laughter. Amusement, especially as expressed in laughter. It means glee. It is the state of being lighthearted and cheerful. It is the state of being lighthearted and cheerful. This word for joy was used to describe a festival. See, when we think about heaven, some people think, oh, everybody's just serious all the time. But notice, it didn't say everybody was serious. That, that was not a definite. Did anyone see that as a definition of joy there? It said gladness, amusement, especially as expressed in laughter, glee, the state of being lighthearted and cheerful, and is used to describe a festival. It is a festival atmosphere in heaven. It is glee, cheerfulness, being lighthearted in heaven. It's joy. It's gladness. Not just in one area where, okay, under a few trees in paradise, they're having a party, but everybody else is having a bad time. No. All throughout heaven, it's a party. See, in Matthew 25, 21, when Jesus is using this parable, he says, his Lord said unto him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I'll make you rule over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. The joy of the Lord. He's talking about heaven, right? The New Living Translation says, let's celebrate together. So once again, we see joy in celebration in connection with heaven. But that's not the only time we'll see it. In Luke 15, 10, Jesus said, likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. That likewise, or the comparison to joy, is connected to rejoicing all of Luke 15. Someone who lost a sheep, found the sheep, and says, rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. Or the woman who lost her coin, found her coin, called her friends, rejoice with me, I found my coin. Or when you get to this parable of the prodigal son, which a lot of us know so well, that at the end, when the prodigal son had come home, the father threw a party. He called everybody in. They didn't just have some steaks or burgers. They had the best steaks and burgers. So they killed the fatted calf. What was the fatted calf? The fatted calf was reserved just in case God visited. 
When you look at Jewish history, that's why they had it. If you had means, you had it because God visited Abraham and Sarah cooked a meal that got a light. So they said, well, just in case he does it again, we're going to have a fatted calf. So Jesus said in that parable that when they came home, they were sharing in all the goodness of God himself. So they're throwing a party, and the older son who had his own issues was outside, and he's working, and he hears music, singing, dancing, laughing. He hears a party. He says, what's going on? He says, your brother who walked away is back home. Come in and celebrate with us. That celebration, that party, that dancing, that laughing, that singing is heaven. And Jesus said, when one sinner repents, they go at it again. So if you want heaven to turn up, and see some type of angel with little John attributes yell, turn down for what? Get somebody saved. Heaven throws a party over every single person that repents. So you know when certain soul winners get to heaven, there are people looking for life. Man, we've been turning up because of you. It's not a sad place. It's a constant celebration. See, C.S. Lewis says it this way. Joy is the serious business of heaven. Joy is the serious business of heaven. Because while we're on this earth, although we love for joy to be our serious business, we got to work. Right? Anybody got to work? There's a whole bunch of stuff we got to do at the house, with our job, in the community. There's a whole bunch of stuff we got to do, and we have a whole lot of things that are serious. There's a serious business we got to handle. But in heaven, the serious business is joy. The serious business is gladness. The serious business is this festival, is this party. Who would want to miss that? Because there's no parties in hell. Ugh. Some of you can't even deal with Georgia heat, so don't even try to go to the other place. But just scratching the surface, look how wonderful heaven is. So don't feel bad for anyone who's gone there, even if they left early. Because what they're experiencing now is greater joy than they ever could have imagined. What they're experiencing now is more wonderful than what they could have imagined. You know, Psalm says it this way. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And he might say, how's that precious? I watched them go out. How they went out did not look the best. That's not the view God has. He's not watching them go out. He's watching them come in. He's watching them get their entrance. He's watching them get into paradise. He's watching them in the heavenly country. He's watching them go into the city. He's watching them see their mansion for the first time. He's watching them experience the parties and the celebration of heaven. He sees it, and he says, it's precious to me. It's valuable to me. It's amazing what God has prepared for you. Not just in God's home, in your home. Heaven is as much as your home as it is God's home. You're not a guest. It's your place. Prepared for you by Jesus himself. So that's our hope. That's why we don't grieve like the world grieves. Because what, let's go back to 1 Thessalonians 4 and finish that. We don't grieve like the world grieves. I didn't say we don't grieve. So we don't grieve like the world grieves because we have hope. And our hope is we know where they are. We know what they're experiencing. 
verse 16, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. The word comfort also means encourage. So the comfort and the encouragement and the hope we have is that we will see our loved ones again. So I like to say this way when I do home goings or talk to people and counsel people. I say, I don't like saying that someone passed away, even though I might use that phrase because people understand it. But when I say passed away, that means they're in my past. They're not in my past. They sped up. They're in my future. There are loved ones who have, quote, unquote, passed away, but that means that I don't see them again. So I know they didn't just pass away. They sped up, and they moved to my future, and I will see them again. That's my hope, that it may be a little while, but I'll see them again. That'll be just like a family reunion. You haven't seen each other in a couple of decades, but as soon as you see them, it's like just where you left off. It had been time, but when you're with them, you forget how long it's been. That's what heaven is like. And don't worry, they ain't bored. They're enjoying themselves. They're literally with Jesus. They're with him. And he's with them. Heaven's not a bad place. And it's not something to sorrow over, even if a person goes home too soon. And I was praying over the right time to do this series, and Lord, let me know it was now for many different reasons. And I know recently I was praying about someone who did go home. And it wasn't even long prayer. It was more of a sigh, like, Lord. And that he replied, they're with me. There's nothing more for me to say. Because they're having a better time than I am. We've gone through a lot as a people, as a country over this last year and a half. There's been a lot of things that go on, but one of the things we've seen, we get daily reports of, is the amount of death. We're confronted with about every single day. And on top of that, I know stories from people in this faith family of things that have happened in their lives. But I wanna encourage you that your loved ones in Jesus are having the time of their lives. And they want you to live in a way that when you get there, you have a lavish reception. Because heaven is full of joy. Revelations 14, 13 says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. So not only are they at joy, they're at rest and ease. And the rewards for their works have followed them there. You know, based on how you live on earth, you get rewarded forever. Forever. Now, it's hard for us to understand what forever is, but forever is actually forever. Even if you live a long life of 120 years on earth, it's just a drop in the bucket to forever. And so how you live for 120 years sets you up for a reward for forever. When we look at Ephesians chapter 2, when it talks about how in the ages to come, God will show off, as a way to put it, his grace. Forever, we're living with a God who is a show-off and likes to show off for our benefit. Oh, you think that's cool? Watch this. Oh, you thought that was cool? Watch this. Forever. And an atmosphere of celebration. And an atmosphere of rest forever. And when we think 
about that in heaven. I want to let you know that same joy is available to you today. The first time you experience that joy is not supposed to be when you get there. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. One of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. So that joy that's in heaven is in your heart now. That atmosphere of celebration, of lightheartedness, of being cheerful is in you right now. Not saying, oh, God, give me that joy of heaven. No, you got it. As soon as you got born again, the joy of heaven was put in your heart. Whether you cultivate it or not, it's not up to heaven, it's up to you. Come on, I can give you a seed for a fruit or a vegetable you want to grow. But if you never plant it, if you don't water it, if you don't take care of it, it's just a seed. Inside your spirit is the seed of joy, the fruit of joy, of that celebration of heaven that you can experience in this earth, that you can have joy in the midst of drama. You can have joy in the midst of all the things going on on the news. You can have joy in the midst of all the other things that are happening all around us that are trying to steal our joy. But if you cultivate that joy and hold on to that joy, you'll have days of heaven on the earth. So that when you get to heaven, it's just an increase of joy. Not the first time you experience joy, an increase of it. See, we as believers should be those who are passing out samples. You're a believer. You have access to heaven. You should be passing out samples on this earth. That the way you live. It's like, why are you so happy? You see the news? Yeah, well. Why are you so happy? Did you see what this is? Yeah, I heard. Why are you happy? Why are you joyful? Because he's good. <laughs> because I'm on the winning side. That he can just smile. You don't even know. So why are you smiling? Hmm? I actually don't know. Why are you so light-hearted? Yeah. Because you cultivated that joy. That same way little kids can just bust out laughing and enjoy themselves. You're like, what's so funny? And you ask them what's so funny, they just start laughing all over again. And he's like, oh, kids, God wishes you act like a kid more. Because you're his child. And no matter what your age and how long you've been saved, he wants to see you smile. He wants to see you laugh. He wants to see you rejoice, not just in church, but he wants that joy to be yours every day, throughout the day. Because it's in heaven and it's in you. These are the days when we must manifest heaven on the earth. There's enough hell on earth. It's time for some heaven on earth. You might say, I'll say this way, you know, I've talked about John G. Lake and some of you have read his books. I had some friends who had an opportunity to look at John G. Lake's Bible. They met his kids and they looked at what he wrote in the front of his Bible. He wrote two things on the front of his Bible. Anybody want to know what those two things are? Because when they told me if the Bible I had a time, I wrote it down to you. I was like, well, if it behooved him, it'll behoove me. Let me see that real quick. And he wrote two things. Number one was, is there anything too hard? Dot, dot, dot. And then, something else. Heaven is not far away. Because when we think about it, literally, it really could be billions of light years away. We can look at that later. But for the believer, those who have faith in God, it's not far away at all. By your faith, you can manifest it. Because according to Ephesians 1 and 2, you are seated there right now. You have a reserved seat in the throne room. No, no, get that. There's the throne of God. There's where Jesus sits. And there's a spot for you. Not for when you get there. If you first access that spot when you get there, you did that too late. It's for you now. 
Stop thinking about, well, in the sweet by and by, I'll get this. No. Make your sweet by and by now. Well, don't you see what's going on in the world? That's why it's the perfect time to do it. Jesus came that you might have and enjoy life. That's what the scripture says, right? So if you're not enjoying it, you're not doing it right. Because you're supposed to have that joy of heaven on earth. So stand to your feet. joy of heaven on earth. We'll get into more next week and talk about other things. Maybe look more of that rest more. But you're supposed to have that joy now. I said you're supposed to have that joy now. And too many of us live without it, so that's why we look wore down all the time. How are you? I'm going through. <laughs> You've been going through for a decade now. It's time to get to the other side. And that joy will help you get to the other side. So it's more than laughing. It's more than manifestations of the joy of the Lord we see at church. It's a force that keeps you going every single day. And you make a decision to tap into it. So let's tap into it right now. Close your eyes, lift your hands to God. And just say with me, say, Father, I thank you that the joy of heaven is in my heart. I tap into it now. I stir it up now. I say, I am joyful, I am cheerful, I am manifesting the joy of heaven on the earth. And by faith, I smile. Now smile. Sounds like, well, I haven't smiled in a while. Just do it. Just smile. Smile big. Show how many ever teeth you got. He wants to see you smile. That joy will push you through whatever season you're going through. It'll bring comfort. It'll bring strength. It'll help you manifest heaven. you're holding on because of how they went or when they left. And I'm not just talking about people who've lost someone recently. It's been years, some of you decades. And I say, I just don't understand. And some things in this life you won't understand. Deuteronomy 20, 20 says, the secret things belong to the Lord, but what he reveals belongs to us and to our children. There are some things that are between God and that person. And as respectfully, I'll say it, it's not your business. There are some things God will reveal to spouses and parents, but outside of that, it's between them and their God. 
but you holding on and wondering, well, why, why, why is going to rob you of the joy that is your right and inheritance to experience? They're experiencing the joy. So why rob yourself of that joy of always asking that why? Some of you haven't even gone through that grieving process of the believer because you never moved past the why. And it's been decades now. So let it go. Let them go. They're with Jesus. Stop thinking, well, I could have done this. I could have done that. Stop. Enter into the joy God has for you. This is freedom for somebody here. This is freedom for someone.